Well, let's pray and ask God to meet us in the Word this morning. Thank you for all the ways you're working, Lord. Thank you, Jesus Christ. You are alive today, and you love to help us and work through us. And so we thank you. And Lord, I ask that you'd come now and help me and work through me as I open up your Word. And would you help each of us, Lord, and meet each of us? Give us ears to hear your Word. Lord, give us eyes to see the truth of who you are and what you're saying here. Give us hearts that respond and obey, Lord, what you speak in your word this morning. So come and do a mighty work, I ask. In Jesus' name, amen. Good. In the Sermon on the Mount, um, Matthew chapter 5, I can't think of the exact verse, but Jesus says something that's quite startling the first time you read it. And he says that if you're on your way to temple to offer sacrifice, so we can translate that into if you're on your way to, to a church gathering, and while you're on the way, it, you remember that there's someone who has something against you, somebody who has a grudge against you, there's some riff in the relationship. If you remember that while you're on your way to, to the temple, stop, turn around, don't go to the temple, turn around, and do what you can to get reconciled with them. Now, you know how important temple church gatherings are to Jesus. And yet, as important as that is, he says that if you realize there's someone who has something against you, before you go to the temple, before you go to the church gathering, stop and get the relationship worked out. So it's clear that it's of great importance to Jesus that his followers are living in love and unity together. That we're pursuing love and unity. That's crucial for Jesus. So, Let's just ask, how are we doing, Mercy Hill Church, in terms of living in love and unity together? I mean, are, are, are any of you, as you think about people in your home group, um, are you bearing a grudge against anybody in your home group? Do you, are, are you at odds with anyone in your home group or the broader church body? Are you have some conflict, some division with them? Is that what's going on? So how could you tell if that was the case? I just listed a couple things that, that I've experienced. We're no longer in loving unity with someone if we're feeling angry towards them, if we're bearing a grudge against them, if we enjoy speaking negatively of them to other people, you know how that is, or if you enjoy hearing other people speaking negatively about them, or if you get upset if other people are speaking positively about them. Those are all indicators, right? Um... You can tell you're no longer in loving unity if you love replaying in your mind why you're so angry at them, what exactly they did. They did that and they did that. You know how that goes? Um, when you're glad they're not around, when you're bothered if they show up, those are just some of the ones I listed. So if this is going on, Jesus would say stop everything and pursue as much as in, in your power reconciliation with them to get it worked out. And, and from other scriptures, the reason this is so important is because if, if, if there's division in our body, if, there's, if, there's a, if you're at odds with someone else, then your faith will be dangerously weakened. The work of the Holy Spirit will be quenched here. Our worship will be hampered. Our evangelism will be compromised. Jesus Christ will be dishonored. 
I mean, Jesus wants the church to be a place where people walk in and they see a level of love and unity and compassion and forgiveness that just makes their jaw drop. Here's where it's happening. What I've longed for all my life to have relationships like this with other people, this is where it's taking place. That's what church should be. That level of love, that level of unity. And so Jesus says, if you're on your way to church and you've got something against someone or they've, you know they've got something against you, turn around, get it worked out as much as you can in your power. So Jesus is calling us to do everything we can to restore loving unity. And we will receive help for that in today's passage in Philippians chapter 4. This is an amazing passage. So let's turn to Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Now, if you need a Bible, we want to bring one to you so that you can study along with us. So just raise your hand, and we'll bring a Bible to you. And in the Bibles we're passing out, Philippians chapter 4 is on page 982. So go ahead and raise your hand. We'll give you a Bible. One more over here. Everybody got one? Okay, now remember, Paul has two main concerns in this letter. We're going through this letter a paragraph at a time. We've seen that Paul has two main concerns. One is some of the believers in the church in Philippi were becoming fearful of persecution and so were becoming less bold in their witness. They were doing not what Natasha shared about doing. They were becoming less bold because of the fear of persecution. So Paul has been addressing that. We've seen that as a theme woven through these verses so far. But there's a second theme also that Paul is dealing with, and that some in the church were at odds with each other. There was division. There was lack of unity going on, and we see more of what was involved with that here in Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. So look at what Paul says. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for my joy and crown stand firm thus in the Lord my beloved I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord yes I ask you also true companion help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Okay, now notice that very first word in verse 1, the word therefore. Crucial word. So here Paul is drawing a conclusion from the previous verses, from the previous chapter. Remember in that chapter he said, we studied this last week, he said, if you fight the fight of faith to keep treasuring Christ then you will gain Christ. You'll be found in Him at the final judgment day, clothed in His righteousness, and you'll be raised from the dead. If you fight the fight of faith to treasure Christ, that's what will happen. And so now in verse 1 he says, Therefore, because of those reasons, and the main command there in verse 1 is, Stand firm thus in the Lord. So stand firm. Keep fighting the fight of faith to keep treasuring Christ. Stand firm thus in the Lord. That's verse 1. But that isn't all that he says in verse 1. Notice that in this verse, over and over, he repeats how much he loves them. Did you catch that? Let's dig more deeply into that. How does Paul describe his love for fellow believers in verse 1? And Read the verse again and notice how often he does this. Therefore, my brothers, there's one, whom I love and long for, there's another, my joy and crown, There's another, 
Stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. There's another. So four times. Okay. So first he says, they're for my brothers. Now don't just gloss over that. Notice that. Almost, I counted up yesterday, almost a hundred times in Paul's letters, he describes fellow believers as brothers. Now that's a generic term. It means both men and women, brothers and sisters. But the point is, we're family. Family affection and closeness. This doesn't always happen. I don't know, maybe you had a very dysfunctional, heartbreaking family. But, but the way it's supposed to be is that when you grow up together with a brother or a sister and you have all these shared experiences, after that, when you're in adult life, there's affection. There's companionship. There's bonding. And I used to go backpacking with my brother. used to go surfing with my brother. We had my brother over for dinner just a week and a half ago. I love my brother. Okay, so you, you grow up, you have these shared experiences, and there's compassion, there's affection. And so what Paul is saying here is that he experiences brotherly affection for brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. Second, he says, whom I love and long for. He loves them. In his heart, he feels deep care and compassion for them. And because he loves them so much, he longs for them. He longs to be with them. He'll say no to other things so he can spend time with them. He loves them. He longs for them. Third, he says they are his joy and crown. That's a little puzzling because back in chapter 3, who is supposed to be our joy? Jesus Christ. Okay, but, but this is not a contradiction. They're his joy because, as we've read from many of their passages, when he spends time with them, he's there to strengthen them in their joy in Christ. And as he strengthens them in their joy in Christ, his joy in Christ is increased. So they are his joy because when he's with them, he's experiencing more joy in Christ. They're his joy, they're his crown. And then fourth, he calls them my beloved. I thought about it this way. If Paul made a list of the things that he delights in, that he treasures, that he cherishes, way up there at the top of his list, somewhere in that top couple three, to one or two or three, would be believers, fellow believers, my brothers and sisters in Christ. I love them. I cherish them. I treasure them. I love spending time with them. They're my joy. They're my crown. They're my brothers. They're my sisters. I love them. You know, not only that, Four times, yes, he describes his love and affection, but see, this isn't just love and affection he has for certain believers. This is love and affection that he has for all the believers. Did you catch that? He's talking about the whole church there at Philippi. He has this love and compassion for. This is how he felt towards those who were older than him. This is how he felt towards those who were younger than him. Even the children Love and compassion. This is how he felt towards those who were wealthy and those who were not so wealthy. This is how he felt towards those who were cool and those who were not so cool. This is how he felt towards those who were popular and outgoing and those who just kind of hung around the back shy and timid. He loved them all. Love and compassion and affection, joy, crown, beloved, brother, sister. This is how Paul loves all the believers. He loves them. Loves them. Now, Why does he talk about that in verse 1 so much? Why does he emphasize his love and affection for these believers? I think one reason is probably because of how strongly he has just spoken in the previous verses. 
End of verse 3, he wants to motivate them to fight the fight of faith, to keep treasuring Christ. And so he uses some strong language. He says, if you don't, you're going to be an enemy of the cross. He says, if you don't, then it's like your, your God is your belly. There's some strong words there. So he wants to explain, I'm using strong words because I love you. I love you. I care about you. I'm going to use strong words if it'll help you to understand my motives. That's one reason. But I, I think there's a second reason also why he emphasizes his love and affection so much for them. I think it's because of where he's going in the next two verses, where he talks about this division that's in the church. He names names here in these verses. I think probably everybody in the church knew about Yodi and Syntyche. Yeah, there's problems. And maybe they were even kind of forming up groups depending on whose side they were on. It was a problem. And so in verse 1, I think he's describing his love and affection for all the believers so that Euodia and Syntyche and all the rest of the believers can learn from Paul's example of how we should not be at odds with each other. We should love each other. We should care for each other. Okay, so ask yourself, do you have love and affection for everyone else in your home group and everyone else in the broader body here? Just be honest. Do you? Or is there someone that you're at odds with? Is there someone you're bearing a grudge towards? Or is there someone who is at odds with you? Someone who's bearing a grudge towards you? Or maybe you know of other people in the body where you know they are at odds. You know they're bearing a grudge against each other. Okay, so we need to hear what Paul says in verses 2 and 3. Because I would guess that's probably happening here. Okay, we're not sinless. We're not in heaven yet. We're working on this. But we're not without sin. And so I would guess that this is happening in our body this morning. So we need to hear what Paul says in verses 2 and 3. So how does Paul respond to this division that was in the church at Philippi? And look at what he says in verses 2 and 3. He says, I entreat... Euodia, and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Okay, so Euodia and Syntyche, two women, part of the church at Philippi, and they're not agreeing. Okay, they're at odds. And, and what we learn about them from verse 3 is that they had labored side by side with Paul and with Clement and with other workers. They labored side by side to advance the gospel. Now, I just want to point out, notice, that women, women are actively involved in advancing the gospel. Just notice that. This is really crucial. And here's why I want to point that out. The Bible teaches that men and women are absolutely equal. We're equal before him, equally saved, equally loved by God. We are equal. At the same time, God has called in some areas men and women to have different roles. Okay, so in the family, the husband is the head of the wife. The wife follows the husband's leadership. That's crucial. Different roles, equal, but different roles. In the church, God calls the church to be shepherded by a team of a plurality of male elders, men elders, to shepherd the flock, not because men are any better. This is just different roles, equal, different roles. Okay, so different roles in some ways, but God calls women just as much as men to be actively involved in advancing the gospel. 
No different roles there. Okay? And notice that Paul honors and celebrates these women who labored side by side with him in advancing the gospel. So women, I just want to encourage you. Labor to advance the gospel. Okay, do what Natasha did. Okay? Labor to advance the gospel. Study God's word. Learn God's word. Share God's word. Bear witness to Jesus Christ through God's word. So be actively involved in advancing the gospel. Crucial observation I want to make from that point. And that's what these two women had been doing. Laboring side by side with Paul and with Clement and with other workers. But they ended up disagreeing with each other about something. Okay? And this disagreement caused division between the two of them. They had been laboring side by side, advancing the gospel. Now division has come. They no longer loved each other. They no longer felt affection for each other. They did not fellowship together. Problem. Rift. Division. So notice what Paul does. I saw four observations about how Paul responds to this. First, he entreats and appeals and pleads with him. Verse 2, I entreat you, Odia, and then he repeats the same word entreat, and I entreat, I entreat Syntyche, not just entreating one of them, I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Okay, so Paul doesn't just let it go. He doesn't say, they'll work it out. They're adults. They'll work it out. He does not say that. Jesus said our loving unity is of crucial importance. So Paul entreats Euodia and he entreats Syntyche publicly in this letter that the church would read for the next thousands of years. Okay? So if you are at odds with someone in the body of Christ, in your home group, I entreat you. I appeal to you. Agree in the Lord. Okay? Don't let it go. Don't let it go. Take some time today to pray. Just bring this before the Lord, you and the Lord. And and ask the Lord to come and to so fill you with his love and to so satisfy you with his glory and to so humble you before the cross that your heart is filled and the pain of whatever has happened there is healed. And your heart is comforted. So bring this before the Lord so that you're, you're good. You're okay. You're, you're good. And, and then you can ask the Lord, now should I go and talk to them? You may not need to. Maybe it's all just on your side and, and now that you've gotten worked out between you and the Lord, you're good. It's all good. You're fine. You may not need to. But you may need to. And if you do go and talk to them, be, be cautious. Because sometimes we can go and talk to them thinking, I'm going to tell them what they did. I'm going to say, well, you did this, and then you did this. Remember, you did this, and you did this, and this, and this. And it's just like, and it's worse, okay? That isn't, that's, not, that's not a reconciling conversation, okay? So the goal of your conversation isn't to have them own up to what they did finally. Okay, the goal of the conversation is to say, I am sorry. Uh, I've been bitter, and uh, I haven't loved you, and please forgive me. And you just better let it go with that. Your job is not to be the Holy Spirit in their lives and to to convict them, convict them, convict them. Now, you may need to have some honest conversation. God will give you wisdom, but but be careful about going to them thinking, I'm going to go and I'm going to tell them what they did wrong, and then they're going to be they're going to be broken before me. They're going to be weeping. I'm sorry. You were right. I was wrong. You're going to feel so good. Okay, we do that, right? Come on now. Okay, we do. That's not what Paul's talking about. Go humbly, 
confess, repent, ask their forgiveness. You may need to have some conversation about what happened, but be very careful about blaming and about trying to have them respond in a way that you finally feel vindicated. You get vindicated between you and Jesus. You meet him and your heart's full. You don't have to talk to them. You don't need to get anything off your chest. You've done that before the Lord. You're just trying to get reconciled, okay? You may want to talk about that with your home group this week. Explore how do you and how do you not do this well, this whole reconciling thing. Back to the passage. So the first thing Paul does is he entreats and appeals and pleads with them. Now second, he entreats them on the basis of the Lord himself. Verse 2, I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Huge three words here in this verse. In the Lord. Changes everything. Okay? Whatever their disagreement was, whatever it was, doesn't make any difference, they can agree in the Lord. No matter what it was. You may think, well, wait a minute. I mean, what if Euodia thought that she should be chosen to be a deacon? And Syntyche ended up being chosen as a deacon, and Syntyche didn't even say anything about, well, what about Yodia? And so now Yodia is really ticked because she wanted to be a deacon. I mean, what if they disagree on that? Or, or what if Yodia thought that the special offering should go to a church plant in, in Spain, and Syntyche thought, well, no, the, the special offering should go to the poor in Jerusalem. We've all heard about them. Okay, so disagreements doesn't make any difference. Jesus Christ is so glorious so loving, so real, so powerful, that those differences don't make any difference. But the fact that they've let their differences, their disagreement, separate them shows that they've let their differences become more important to them than Jesus Christ is. That's what's going on. When you're at odds with someone in the body of Christ, whatever the point of disagreement is, is more important to you than Jesus is at that moment. You've forgotten Christ. You've forgotten Jesus Christ, your Savior, and their Savior. And so that's why Paul says, I entreat you to agree in the Lord. Yodia, Syntyche, Jesus Christ is far more satisfying than becoming a deacon. You've got to trust his sovereignty here. You've got to trust how he worked through the leadership here. Let that go. Trust the Lord. Or Jesus Christ is... I mean, he'll, he'll take care of the church plant or the, the poor in Jerusalem, okay? But Jesus Christ is bigger than the disagreements. So he's, Paul's urging them, look past your disagreement to see all that you have in the Lord together. And then you can agree in the Lord. Lay aside your agreement, your disagreement, and come together in the Lord. So he entreats them on the basis of the Lord himself. Third, He asks a church leader to go and help these women agree in the Lord. Did you catch that? Verse 3, yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women. See, Paul knows that Yodia and Syntyche might not respond to his appeal, his entreating here. They might just decide to let their disagreement continue. They may not listen to what Paul says here. But see, that's unacceptable to Paul because he loves them. He loves them, cares about them. He's brother to them. He knows what this would do to their walks with the Lord if they continued in their division and disagreement. He knows how this would quench the work of the Holy Spirit, not just in their lives, but in the church life at Philippi. And Paul loves that church. 
He knows how this would dishonor Christ and, and disrupt their evangelism and harm and mar their witness. And so Paul says, I ask you also, true companion, we don't know who this is, but maybe this is just his nickname, true companion. Okay, who knows? We don't know. But the true companion knew who it was, and so Paul asks him to go and to urge them. So he wants this person to go and come alongside them and humbly talk with them, listen to them, pray with them, urge them, help them, come together and agree. Okay, fourth, he reminds them that both their names are written in the book of life. This is big. This is very big. Read verse 3 again. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. (laughs) Why does Paul mention that? It's because that changes everything. See, if you're at odds with uh, another believer, and if you will really understand that both your names, your name and this other believer's name, both your names are written in the book of life, that will change everything. So let's think about this. What does that mean? Book of life. What does that mean? In the book of Revelation, we read about the final judgment, and we will all be standing there at this final judgment before God. Okay, You'll be there, I'll be there, we will all be there. As certain as you're sitting in that chair right now, you will be standing before God the Father. And God the Father is perfect in justice and righteousness and holiness. And he is so perfectly good and so perfectly loving that we, we have an infinite obligation to trust him 100%. To obey him quickly, gladly, happily. To trust him for everything that comes up. God has revealed himself to us as perfectly, flawlessly good and loving. We have every reason to trust him and to love him. But at this judgment day, there's these books that are called. And in these books are written all your sins. All the times when you did not trust him. All the times when you disobeyed him. All the times when you lied, when you were jealous, when you were envious, when you hurt someone else, when you were bitter, when you were angry at him, all the times when you were angry at other people, all the times when you did wrong. Books, the the, the books are there. And you're going to be standing before God in the final judgment. And these books are opened. And God's going to look down the list and you're going to know you're going to be judged because of your sin. No one here's book is going to look good. No one's book here is going to say, well, this person gets to come in because of what was written in these books. It's not going to happen. God's perfectly just and righteous and holy. And these books, when they're opened, listing our lives, showing our sin, God will look at these books. And if that's all there is, God will say, you must be punished forever because of how you have dishonored my glory, dishonored my son. You must face eternal judgment. But there's another book. There's another book. This book's called the book of life. And before the foundations of the world, God the Father, God the Son, were hovering over this book. And knowing full well your sin, knowing full well all the sin you would commit, the Father looked at the Son and he said to the Son, will you be willing to go to the cross and pay for his sins, her sins? And the son said, yes, for your glory, I will go. 
And then the son says to the father, Father, will you be willing to deliver me up to pay for his sins? To pay for her sins? And the father says, Yes, for your glory, I'm willing to deliver you up. So the father and the son take a pen. Maybe it's dipped in blood, if you want to use that metaphor, and they, and they, Jesus' blood, the blood of the lamb, and they write your name in the book. And so here's the books of all the sin, which condemns every one of us. And here's the book of life. And through faith in Christ alone, your name is written in the book of life. Oh, there's someone else's name in the book of life also. The person that you're at odds with. The person who you're upset at. The person who you don't like to be around for whatever reason. And so Paul's point here is that the the reality, the fact that both of your names are written in the book of life far overshadows whatever hurts or disagreements or frustrations or clashes or personality or whatever it might be. It just doesn't make any difference. So Yodia could say, but Syntyche was chosen as a deacon. Paul would say, but both your names are written in the book of life. Syntyche could say, but but I... I thought that the money should go to the Jerusalem people and she argued for the church plant and Paul would say, both your names are written in the book of life. Or you might say, I don't like how they raise their kids. Paul would say, your names are written in the book of life. Or you might say, I sent them an email. They haven't answered. It's been weeks. Both your names are written in the book of life. He borrowed my car. It's never run the same since. Both your names are written in the book of life. Both your names are written in the book of life. Which means you're going to be together in heaven. You're going to be kneeling down together before the Lord Jesus, loving Him, worshiping Him, adoring Him. You're going to be dancing together on the streets that are golden. You're going to be laughing and leaping and praising God together in heaven. So get over it. Agree in the Lord. You're letting your differences become more important than Christ, more important than the glory of God, more important than the book of life, and it's wrong. It is sin. Stop it. See the book of life, see Jesus Christ, see the glory of the Father, and agree in the Lord. So this is what I would say to you and would say to me. Is there anybody that you're at odds with here in the body? Your names are both written in the book of life. Think again about who Jesus Christ is, about who God the Father is, about what he's done to save you and them and love them. Do all you can to be reconciled with them. You may not be able to totally reconcile. They may not be responsive to that. But do what you can do. Forgive from your side. Love from your side. Your names are both written in the book of life. Okay, now, what questions does this raise? Am I, am I in sync with the passage? Am I, am I on, on track or am I missing it? Maybe you have questions about how we live this out. we got maybe five minutes for questions here. Joe, Chuck, right here. 
you're saying uh, to, to kind of get over it. Can you elaborate on that and what, what that means? You, you, yeah. You, you did a little bit, but I a little more. Yeah, right, right. We, we can't just grit our teeth and get over it. Um, but what we can do is we can we can pray, first of all, and say, Father, help me change my heart. I can't change my own heart, but your, your power can. Your word can, so come and change me now. And then I would take time and I would just look, look at the book of life. And I would think about the cross and I would think about the resurrection, think about salvation. And as we look at who Jesus Christ is, what he's done for us, the Holy Spirit will soften our hearts. He will humble us. He will humble that pride that, that's behind a lot of the division. He will fill the emptiness that's behind that kind of division. And our hearts will be humbled and happy in the Lord again. And humbled, happy hearts can love enemies and they can love brothers and sisters in the body of Christ where there's been division. So that's what I mean by get over it. Okay, get over it. Footnote. Okay. Thank you. Isn't that like kind of the whole point of the gospel? I mean, when, maybe yeah. on paper, maybe we have a case. In the, in the court of law, maybe, maybe there's a judgment. Yeah. Hey, oh, yeah. You're right. You should totally be angry. Yes. Um, but, but the gospel is for people like us who get hurt, who get, whose feelings get hurt. Yes. Um, and Jesus promises to help us then, right? So it's not... Amen. In addition to what you're saying, just... Mm-hmm. Um, it's, the, it's only with the help of Christ that we can hope to be unified. Totally, totally. That, that's the good news. Yep, very good. Okay, Josie over here. Thanks, Jerry. Josie. Good observation. So not only is there, 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 there. I think that's what the meaning of their name is written in the book of life mm. is. Mm-hmm. Their sins have been dealt with. Mm. You. Good. God saw that it was so serious that He had to go suffer and die for it. Good. Um, and the question was about the was the very brief part about the woman thing. Mm-hmm. How they're equals. I think the reason why it feels unequal is that men are given authority while given authority over women. Mm-hmm. That feel it feels like it feels like authority is what's making them greater. It's like an employer and an employee. They're sure they're both equal human beings, but one has in a sense greater than the other. So I'm not sure how how to reconcile that with they're both equal? Good question. On, uh, honest, go ahead. A, a quick point to that is I would also like to be remind. I would also like to remind of the disciples fighting over who is greater. Yes. In the kingdom of heaven, so I don't know. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah, and I, I would just say in terms of the, the men's and women's roles, is just to, that the Bible teaches both. This is where I start. The Bible teaches that both men and women are equally created in God's image, equally gifted, equally loved, equally holy, equally saved through Christ. 
and then God says that there's different roles. And so, just starting with the truth of Scripture, that must mean that different roles doesn't mean not equal. And so then we need to adjust our understanding of roles then so that we understand that those don't mean a lack of equality. So that would, that's where I would encourage you to think about and to pray about some more. If I can relate. Yeah. So Scott and then Susie, or Susie right here and then Scott. Go ahead. Okay. Um, the last point, uh, when men are given authority, we have to remember that that also means they have more responsibility. They are more yes. accountable. They're held uh, accountable for their decisions. And we as women um, have to pray for them so that they make the right decisions. Amen. <laughs> Amen. understanding that if a, a man makes the wrong decision, uh, our job is to pray for them. Yes. In order to do that for those in authority over us, right? Yes, the, yes. In, in city leadership, in the educational system. Yes, yes. You know, the state, the national, the international. We are supposed to be praying for them. Yeah. Because, yeah. Good word, Susie. Thank you. And as women, uh, we have, a, I believe, a very powerful role mm-hmm. in maintaining that prayer. Mm-hmm. And um, if we don't pray, that's what we're accountable mm. for. Right? So we do have the, the accountability on both sides. Well said. Um, and as far as the forgiveness thing, what, what has worked for me, um, I learned a long time ago from a, a lady evangelist that uh, it's the blood of Jesus. We have to remember, when he talks about in Christ, the blood paid for everything. Yes. And yes, people have done unjust, wrong things to us, and will in the future probably. But the thing is that the blood of Jesus paid for it, and not just for believers, the blood of Jesus is waiting there for the unbeliever. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And when we ask uh, for forgiveness, mm. uh, one of the things I learned is that, you know, I first, when I first had, uh, was impressed by the Holy Spirit to ask for forgiveness, my first impulse was to say, I have to ask you. And then the Holy Spirit said, no, mm. you want to. Mm, good. And so when I came to the... I have to do it. I have to do it several times. Yes, we understand. <laughs> I will in the future. Sure. But it's. Um, I want to ask you to forgive me for my part of it, whatever it was. Mm, good. And I don't expect them. I cannot expect them to respond the way I want them to. Right. Because the Holy Spirit's working on them. That's and right. Like what you said, we're not God. We're not the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. We let, have to let them do their work. Mm-hmm. Good. Thanks, Susie. Scott. Just a comment. Um, it's it's always harder when you're the one in it in terms of being having that disagreement. Yeah. I mean, even Paul had the same thing with Barnabas in terms of. Yes. So you know, he's counseling these women, but he's also had his struggles and disagreements with his fellow believers. That's right. It is not easy. Yeah. So have others pray for you, possibly. And then Marcia, here comes a mic. One more, just Marcia. Yep. Go ahead. Mm. And when I look at that, I'm like, oh, I guess I will forgive. 
Mm-hmm. Also, sometimes I pray for forgiveness because I feel like it's a gift to me to be able to forgive mm-hmm. when I can't, so I ask God, please. Yes. And um, the other thing is that uh, Satan is the accuser of the brethren, and I don't want to stand with him. Mm. Good point. Okay, let's stand together. I want to pray this over us. I ask, Father, that you'd work here in in our lives as a church. We want to be uh, a people who are so full of love for each other and forgiveness for each other and patience and bearing with each other that you are displayed as glorious in our midst. We want to live that way. Lord, forgive us for ways we have let division come in. And I pray, Lord, for any here who are feeling at odds with someone or that someone has something against them, I pray, Lord, that you would would work today to humble their hearts and fill their hearts with your love and that they would be able to do whatever they can do on their side to reestablish love and affection and unity. So, Lord, let us not put this off. I pray that you would be working powerfully in our hearts today and that we would take these steps in obedience to your word. And we thank you for the book of life, Lord. Thank you, Father, for being willing to deliver up your son to the cross. And thank you, Jesus, for being willing to go to the cross so that our names could be written in the book of life and that we could be forgiven for our sins and welcomed into your presence forever. So, Lord, let that the book of life, our salvation, let, let that be what is predominant as we think about each other. And let that be like a magnet drawing us to each other in forgiveness and love and compassion and affection. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.